In the second session of this set of six on reverse addiction, we're going to look at the main effects on the child of being placed in this reverse position through dysfunction in the family. How does it affect the child? And we're going to look at three of the main effects. Imitation, anxiety and lack of self-care. The a fourth effect, vulnerability, we'll look at in the third session. Now, this overbalanced sense of responsibility, this huge burden of responsibility on the child is what happens during any dysfunction on the family. And so we need to know how are these effects on the mental and emotional well-being of the child set up the adult life as a reverse addict. So here's session two. And first of all, I want to talk about imitation. So when the child steps into this position of responsibility, they may be seven, eight years of age, whatever they are, they're, of course, in no way ready to become an adult. So what do they do? Well, they have to imitate adulthood. So they've seen adults, they've seen adults speak, they've seen adults shout, they've seen adults behave, and so they start to imitate that. So, for instance, they may imitate some sharp words if the little sister isn't eating their breakfast, or they may uh, talk in a certain tone of voice. This is basically... Um, a form of imitation that says, how do I step into this role? Now, this can become serious later on in adult life, where it's transferred into the way we behave. Uh, you may not notice it so much in family life or in social life. Uh, where it will often turn up is in professional life, where we are away from uh, most people we know usually, uh, we're with a different set of people and the role that we have in the uh, job requires us to take on a very strong sense of performance. Um, and we know that all jobs are performance related. Uh, the, the hotel receptionist doesn't always feel like smiling, but they always smile. Uh, because that's their job. It's their job to make you feel welcome and so on. So, and all jobs have this performance related thing. And so what happens with imitation is we can take this idea, like, how do I do this? Well, I have to sort of imitate being a grown-up. And this can go on quite late in life. In fact, the stronger the, um, the sense of role-playing in a job, the stronger the sense of um, imitation, then the more you can actually mistake this for your real self. I've, I've had this with clients where they have done the job for years. Uh, they're probably some sort of stage of workaholism, you know, where they've taken work far too seriously and so on. And so for many, many years, they've been acting out this part. Uh, and, and not being aware that it's strongly a part or an imitation. Uh, because, of course, an imitation is a part, right? So they then mistake it for their real self. And this needs some therapy to understand this, uh, to, to get to a point where you realise, actually, this is my real self, not that. So that's one of the first places where it shows up. I remember one time, just to give you an example of this, I was walking through a park 
and there was a, a young lady, clearly a teacher, she had a big class full of uh, young kids, I think there were about eight or nine, seven or eight, something like that. And they were all sat on the grass and she was doing her teacher thing. Now, the point I'm making here is that she was clearly unaware that I was present or walking past. And, you know, if you'd have heard the way she was talking to these kids, I mean, there is no way that she would talk like that if she thought another adult was present. And at one point she realised, uh, she must have heard my footsteps. She turned around or she, she noticed that I was there and the look on her face, I mean, the embarrassment, you know, this role-playing thing she was doing in talking to these little kids in a certain way, um, it, it, obviously she, she stopped immediately and um, uh, obviously <laughs> waited till I'd gone or something. But I mean, I think this happens a lot, is that uh, not just in teaching, but in other roles, particularly management roles, I would say any role where you have responsibility for people, I would say that there's strong... Uh, chances that this imitation thing will come up. So what are we saying about this? Well, it's not you. It's a form of imitation based upon your need to take responsibility as a child. And at any time you're put in a position of responsibility, uh, you, it will often come up again. You will feel a strong need to, uh, to act out in a certain way. What is the next effect? We're looking at anxiety, of course. Uh, the child uh, in this position, uh, they have no experience to cope with this level of responsibility that they've been put in, forced into. So it always includes massive amounts of anxiety. Now, what do, what's the first thing we need to say about this anxiety? It's the same as the dysfunction in the family. It is normalized. In other words, kids they, they accept things as normal. That's the only thing they know. And so there's a strong amount of normalization going on, even though it's an exceptional um, situation. And of course, it can go on being normal until you start to uh, compare it and you start to get a, a broader sense of life and life experience. So don't expect it to be obvious to you when you start your recovery that uh, that your anxiety is high. You may, uh, like a lot of us, you might need to spend time raising your sensitivity to your feelings uh, in order to even recognize how anxious you've become or how anxious you've been all your life. Now, all of these effects um, are the same in that the impact on you is greater because you're at a stage of life as a youngster where your brain's still developing your reactions, they're not sophisticated, they're very basic, um, and they don't include, obviously, much life experience either. And so you don't question this anxiety or its origins, you just normalise it, you live with it, and you survive it. I always say, when we talk about this stuff, that you should imagine yourself being given a job that you didn't apply for, you didn't get an interview, you don't have a job description, an induction, or a training, and now add that people that you care about could be seriously harmed if you don't get this job right. Now make yourself seven or eight years old, and I think you get the picture. That's the level of anxiety we're talking about, and it's, again, something that's often transferred into adult life. 
The next effect I would say of this reverse addiction position is lack of self-care. Now this of course is one of the primary things to notice in advanced or adult uh, reverse addiction. The next uh, effect of, of, of lack of self-care is of course the overbalancing towards care for others away from care for self. And this is both the start of reverse addiction and the reason uh, for it. It's the root cause of it. Therefore, lack of self-care is one of the main things to look out for. Um, when you uh, harm yourself or do without uh, in, an, in a very out-of-proportion way to look after others, then it's a symptom that you're, um, you're going to recognise. Again, of course, this behaviour is normalised as a youngster. Um, and you tend to think of it as just how things are. So under pressure to take responsibility for others as part of the dysfunction, uh, the reverse addict or the, um, the developing reverse addict thinks less and less about themselves. Now this overbalanced sense of responsibility as a, as a reverse addict, it can become a, a full-time job basically, very early in life. You can be doing it all day long. As the child grows into an adult, they often develop the belief that it's somehow wrong, in fact, to take care of themselves. It seems very wrong to buy those uh, good shoes for yourself, even though your partner has just spent a fortune on theirs. You know, it's, it's one of my earliest memories of what I would today call reverse addiction. And it was in an AA meeting. It's got to be, oh, I don't know, 35 years ago now, but I remember being sat in a meeting and just looking down at the ground as part of just listening to the meeting and so on and a couple walked in and all I saw because I was looking at the ground when they both sat down there was a man and a woman I just noticed their shoes because I was looking at the ground and I can't tell you how typical a sight this was because as they sat down I noticed that the male um, clearly he was the addict who'd come and, uh, you know, been supported by his wife. But anyway, he sat down and he had these extremely expensive looking, you know, designer trainers on. Um, goodness knows what they cost, but, you know, they were, they were absolutely, you know, clearly designer trainers. She sat down next to him in the cheapest pair of you know, 99p plimsolls that you could have read your paper through the sole of these things, you know. I mean, they look cheap, they were cheap. Um, and for them to be living together, you know, you could see the, the effect just in looking at the shoes. I mean, imagine that, right? Just in looking at the shoes, you could diagnose this. And you could say, wow, here she is, you know, seeing what he's spending and not taking care of herself uh, as a result, you know, this lack of balance, this extreme position. So that was, a, that was a little experience I had many years ago. I've never forgotten it. I, of course, understand these things a lot better these days.